Welcome to Common Ground with SMK Medical, the podcast that aims to provide a platform for open and informative discussion on common issues in the healthcare industry. As healthcare professionals, we understand the importance of staying current with industry trends and issues. In each episode, we explore relevant and timely topics such as healthcare policy, survey readiness, emerging trends, and so much more. And today is no different. Today, we have an exceptional guest joining us, Dr. Sylvia, the dynamic and accomplished CEO and founder of NSD Experts, Education and Consultancy. Dr. Sylvia brings over 20 years of experience in healthcare industry, and her career journey has been nothing short but of remarkable, from being a certified nursing assistant to a esteemed director of nursing. In addition, Dr. Sylvia's healthcare administration leadership, she is a accomplished associate professor and adjunct professor at various nursing college, colleges across the United States. Dr. Sylvia holds a bachelor's of science degree in biochemistry. Let me list it all. A bachelor of science degree in biochemistry, a master's in public health, as if that wasn't enough, another bachelor's degree in science and nursing, and a PhD in nursing from the University of Massachusetts. Dr. Sylvia's passion for healthcare extends beyond teaching to mentoring new nurses and advocating for long-term care staff development and retention. Dr. Sylvia is the author of a recently released book, Navigating Long-Term Care, A Practical Approach for Nurses, and its accompanying workbook, which she will talk about today. Today, Dr. Sylvia wants to discuss leadership in long-term care, staff development, and training in long-term care. So join us as we dive into this insightful discussion with Dr. Sylvia. I must say that this episode is like no other. Dr. Sylvia is an expert in the field and she's taking time out of her day to share her expertise with us here on Common Ground with SMK Medical. Welcome, Dr. Sylvia. How are you doing today? Thank you, thank you for having me. Hey, it is a pleasure to have you. I know you take you took time out of your day to speak with us. I, I did that introduction, as I always say, but it's 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 not a true reflection of who you really are. I, I I stated it. You have over four degrees, a PhD in nursing, a master's in public administration. You're an RN, but tell us who you really are. Oh boy. So <clears throat> probably I would say I'm a Ned. No, I just I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm a um I'm very much driven. I, I just want to live a very fulfilled life. Um, so I always, um, I would say a go-getter and I'm also very passionate about nursing and in fact, very passionate about long-term care. Um, I would say I'm a very kind and um, very kind and um, well, <laughs> a good leader would probably say that also because I get a lot of compliments that way too, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> wow. So you, you mentioned you're a good leader, you know, and I, I think being a good leader is important in the field of long-term care. When you say you're a good leader, what makes you an exceptional leader? Because I have emotional intelligence. That's Woo! She does um, I, I, I really am able to um, get to my staff. I work with them. I'm, I am um, out call a servant leader. I like to get my hands dirty. I want to walk their walk. I want to talk their talk. Um, at the same time, too, I also know to um, be able to balance it off and they know to do what is expected of them. 
I do not use um, their mistakes as punitive. It's the mistake is an opportunity to learn. And so I, I go to, I come that way with a lot of education um, to empower them. And they really do appreciate that. That's amazing. You know, you dive right into emotional intelligence. And, and for the people in the back who don't know, what is emotional intelligence? <laughs> emotional intelligence is able to uh, understand and know um, your, your followers or your staff. You want to be able to anticipate and have a little bit of empathy. Um, for example, I had a staff member that always uh, was coming a little bit late staff always would complain about them. And so I brought her to the office and I asked her and um, she had child um, care problems. She had to wait to get the child on the bus and all that, but she had never come to really request or any additional time. So we kind of came around with a schedule and I found a couple of nurses who were willing to stay an hour later so she could drop the child off and come. She was very appreciative of that. But this is what I mean by emotional intelligence, being able to be empathetic and seeing how you can work with your staff so that you understand where they're coming from. And guess what? After doing that gesture, she was such a good worker because wow. that was the only thing that was really standing in her way of success, right? So these wow. are some of the things that leaders have to do to create an environment, a workplace that is conducive so that people can learn to grow and be themselves and form like a community. Wow. You know, that's that's important. And what you said is key, right? So many leaders would have just went immediately to term. Oh, we got a policy. It's black and white. And we got to do it this way because this is this, right? But what you what you what you clearly just said is hey we worked with her and she turned out to be a great employee we had to make some accommodations because life happens and yes. i think jobs forget life happens outside of work you're at work eight days or, or five days a week for eight hours but there's still 16 other hours of real life that's going on outside of work so mm -hmm. um kudos to you as a leader for for really diving deep into it and determining what the what what, what the problem was right because you potentially could have missed out on a great employee mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So you talked about um, servant leadership. What is servant leadership? So servant leadership, if I can say, really emerged from um, this concept, if I could use uh, as Jesus being a servant leader. Uh, if those, of, those of your audience who are Christians will probably understand what I mean by that. But it comes from a place where you are the leader, but you serve. Right. So unlike other uh, models of leadership, you want to come in and and really build consensus with your staff and then serve with them. Right. So you you want to like, for example, when I come on the unit, what they are doing, I'm also doing to be an example to them. So if I can get my hand dirty they also know to get their hands dirty. I'm there for long hours. I'm working with them. I'm coming in the night, odd hours, and I'm working their walk. So a servant leader really is selfless. A servant leader really puts herself after her, I mean, her staff is first and she comes second. And that is what I do in leadership. That is how I term um, servant leadership. But um yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. And, and, you know, I view leadership, right, kind of, kind of, when I, when I first got into leadership, you know, and, and, and didn't understand servant leadership, I thought the leaders was at the top. You know, you think about a triangle, right? I thought the leaders was at the top, right? But 
Servants are really at the bottom supporting others. You're really the base. Mm-hmm. You're really the base to support others. So, mm-hmm. you know, as, 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 you, as you mentioned, servant leaders have to pour into others. Mm-hmm. And we pour into others to really um, grow the culture. And in and, and long-term care, you know, culture's everything. And so as a leader, how do you help shape and mold the culture of, of long-term care? You know, we're dealing with uh, unprecedented staff shortages, we're dealing with uh, just coming out the coronavirus. You know, we're dealing with various mandates from CMS. So, how do you help grow and shape that culture in long-term care? So, I, I don't know if I I want to, I've walked that walk, and so I want to cast my mind back to a very important um, example that I would give you because I like to use examples to really bring to life some of these questions because I've walked them. So, two days into my role um, as a new um, DON. Um, I had a, a, actually the first weekend actually of my role, there was an incident that happened. One, I was in a, a behavioral psych um, building and it's, you, can, you can imagine it's very fluid. Yes. <laughs> so one of the uh, residents um, actually accidentally um, hit another resident and um, 24 hours after the person died. So you can imagine it brought on DPH um, investigation. We went into IJ. We had actually two IJs. And um, the police were in my building the day after. There was a yellow tape and all of that. So right after that instance, that is where I just had to lead. And I was just beginning to even understand the culture in that building. And so with that incident brought to bear, what I had worked in. But again, like I said, I am very passionate about long-term care and that was for me an opportunity to lead. So I came up with this, um, we actually, we corporate was very supportive. They did support us for us to be able to um, come back to compliance within um, the set time, 10 days, we were back to compliance and then it didn't stop there. I took it upon myself to really make sure that all the systems were now up and running. And within six months, we had the best survey they had had in five years. And how did I do this? I wanted to change the culture. I, I just did not want to fix a deficiency. I wanted to use that opportunity to change how we did things in the building. I started by starting afresh by retraining the staff in the building. So what I did was I would come in on the weekend with my Dunkin' Donuts box of Joe with with dozens and dozens of donuts. And I brought the staff in into the conference room, little groups of 10 nurses at a time. We did, um, I did uh, this course, like a leadership four hour course and they came in and I taught them. And um, that was the beginning of um, the ten, the turnaround. We were down staffing, but with this new approach of really training them, hands-on workshops, training them about leadership, how they could take ownership of certain things, how to empower them. Within a short time, I started having applications. It turned out that I was having, because again, I, the DON was teaching them. And so that word went out. And so they started to come in. And so um, I, it wasn't surprising where I was able to uh, really get the best survey when the surveyors, in fact, after that instance, there was a, there were, we were really being surveyed. I mean, 
every month I probably had a severe in my building. But every time they came in, the staff knew, not just knew as in just knowing, they, they come to me, the surveyors would come to me and say that you, their staff have learned a lot from you and they would just tell me that. So I knew I was onto something, right? And so that curriculum is what I ended up putting everything together to form the book, which I'll talk about later. But yes, um, changing a culture, it's really important. Um, not just fixing a deficiency, it is looking at um, taking the bull by the horn and steering the ship and changing how things are made. And changing a culture is not, um, it doesn't come easy. It has to be persistent. Managing systems. Yes, you're not going to be perfect the first time round, not even the second time. It's consistent. And then adapting these new changes to yes. be part of the organization. So including it now in my orientation programs. So it wasn't just for the already existing staff, but then anybody coming into the building had to go through these um, training sessions. So with time, it kind of um, started to seep in. But unfortunately, my mom passed, was very sick, so I had to leave that particular facility. Mm -hmm. So again, it depends on who takes over from you and how they keep, uh, because it was still very young and needed a lot of um, nurturing to yeah. really ingrain it into the building. So, um, but still, I mean, it's still um, <laughs> something that I, I did. So, I like I said, good. building a culture takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of courage because you might do things that are not popular, but you, if you know that they are going to benefit the organization, then you you must do it. Yes. No, you know, I think that's good. And, and, and to your point, right, you as a leader have to make the difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those difficult decisions may not be popularized by, by others. But if it's going to drive the culture, it's going to improve everything else. So when you talk about culture, what I gather from that is you increase staff retention. You overall increase the quality of care that was delivered in your building by indirectly by directly rather increasing staff retention mm -hmm. and it was acknowledged from the state surveyors when they came in and said hey we see a difference in this organization as a leader it's important that we drive culture and we drive expectations i think that's that's what you were saying it's, it's important that we drive culture and we drive expectations how do new leaders learn to lead? How do new leaders learn to turn around a long-term care facility? Let, let's let's cut straight to it. When there's a situation, leadership says, well, we fixed the problem. We got rid of the DON. We got rid of the administrator. Well, how's the culture ever going to be fixed if our fix is to get rid of the administrator and the DON? So with that being said, you know, there's constant turnover at that leadership level, but, but how do we go into an organization and, and meet those standards, but also turn the culture around? Yeah. So this is um, what I'm going to share what I did. Um, so hopefully <laughs> somebody can learn from it. So as a leader, you, you have to have a vision. A leader is not a, a person is not a leader if they don't know where they're going. And not only do you have a vision, but you have to know where you want to drive that ship to. Right. So what I did was when I first came in, I did call for a mandated uh, meeting. In that meeting, I laid out my vision for the for them and my expectations for them. 
And I also at that meeting asked or pled for their cooperation so that I could lead the organization to success. That's one of the key things I did. I did not stop there. I wrote a letter I gave to um, the administrator, he approved it, and we sent it to all the residents and their families to introduce myself. And in that letter, I laid out my plan for the organization and how I was going to ask them so that we could work in consensus. That was the beginning. So I brought or tried to create a following, okay? And you cannot lead without a following. You cannot lead if you don't have the right following. And so the first thing you do is you don't go straight to fix anything, but you have to build, get the buy-in. You have to get the buy-in from your staff, from all stakeholders, the physician, the medical director, you introduce yourself to them. You introduce yourself to the ombudsman, very important. And also I get to go to the resident council meeting to introduce myself to the residents, although I know they see me around. So you do that. And these are all stakeholders. And then you just gather that consensus. Now, you you want to make a great case so that they know where you want to take them to. If they buy into your vision, that is bingo. Some would jump on the wagon right away. Others will stand by to see how you're doing. Others would definitely not like that whole idea of change. And you have to learn how to manage that change, right? So if you're able to manage that change, you're going to move the boat. And always the policies and procedures are your friend and your Bible because you always want to go back to the regulations and also the policies and procedures. And if you don't know, it's okay to always go back and reference um, these um, legislations and these regulations, that's how you get to know them and be very good at them, right? So once you, you, you've gotten that, then you start to do change and you do it slowly one at a time. You don't bring on too much change at a time. Look at the ones that are more dire, the most ones that are most pres uh, present, that are cancerous in the facility. That's the one you tackle first. And um, you lay out your, your goals or how you're going to achieve that. And then you, you, you work at it. When one is successful and it becomes proof that you've been successful in that, then they would, you get a, little, a lot more buy-in and then you can do even more difficult um, things and gradually start to change mindsets. Okay. Wow. So um, that is my, that is how I really get to do things um and 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 you have to be creative if you're a leader you have to be it's like we always do it this way that that is not let's look at the other ways we that's, can that's do kryptonite it. it's kryptonite they love to say oh we've always done it this way right whether this you're way. a DON going in or an administrator well we've always done it this way now now what i will say as a leader I like to observe for at least 30 days before I make any changes, right? Because there is always a reason that they are doing it that way. Doesn't mean it's the right way. Doesn't mean it's the wrong way. We have to understand why they're doing it that way. Oh, yeah. And um, one thing is that some, some things you can wait 30 days, some things it's immediate. Like for my case, when three days into the role, you were bombarded with an IJ, there isn't much time to give them 30 days to adjust. So you use that opportunity to change things at the same time too. It's gradual. I mean, it's, it's, it's a gradual process. You don't penalize anybody within the first 30 days. Yes, I get it. But you start to steer the ship a little bit. I believe that when you do it early, a little bit early, then they know <laughs> there's a new person on the block, right? And so 
yeah. Sometimes you have to establish it early. Sometimes you have to, you have to, you have to, like I said, you have to be emotionally intelligent and just yeah. sense and know um, when to really strike, if I could use the word. Yeah. No, no, you, you, you're 100% right. But I think what, what I've gathered from you is one of the things you, 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 you pride on is you can't be a leader without followers. And you don't oh, gain yes. followers without gaining their trust. Yes. And you don't gain their trust without giving them education and, and yes. telling them the why and the who and how they're doing yes. it. And, and that's kind of led to your specialty. You love education, clearly with, with four different degrees, a PhD <laughs> in nursing, right? And it's a PhD in nursing, a, a master's in public administration. So you love education. What role does education play in outcomes and quality measures in a long-term care facility? Oh, please don't even ask this question because it's even not. <laughs> education is it. I, I really, honestly, sincerely think that education is vital. It's the lifeline, if I can say that. It's the lifeline because let me just tell you something. I have worked in long-term care for years, okay? When I became DON, there were so many things I didn't know. Can you imagine that? It shows you how, and it wasn't that I didn't go for in services or meetings. I was a night nurse, but trust me, I came at two o'clock most of the time for all the um, staff meetings. I would sign all those in services, right? On those clipboards, I would do all of that. So when I came, I said, no, this is not right. Why, if I had known these things, maybe, Things would have been so different for me, even as in my beginning role as a DON, right? So I said, no, the next nurse that comes after me is going to know everything they need to know to be successful. Education is not going to be just in servicing. Every opportunity from huddles I was teaching, I was questioning them. You cannot just tell me the patient is okay. Like when they're giving report, I start teaching right from there. You go in and 201, okay, 202, okay. I said, if they're okay, then please go home. Then they, we don't need to be here. We don't need to be here. That was my thing. And they used to laugh. I say it in a very playful way, but they all know that's what I say. I said, this is okay. And I said, oh my God, if they're all okay, then we don't have to be here. I start to teach them how to give proper shift reporting. And I quiz them. Like I ask follow-up questions. And so they know they have to get the answers for me. I said, well, I'll have a patient just open the EHR. Let's see what they're saying. But it took time. It made my morning huddles instead of 15 minutes, they were getting longer because I was using those times to teach. Yes. Right. And so with time, it takes time. If you want immediate gratification, you wouldn't get it. And um, that is why most uh, director of nurses probably don't do this because you didn't get that immediate gratification because they will still keep doing things um, because they've been used to the wrong way of doing things. So you're trying to steer them out. It's consistency. And then when they know you are not relentless and you're not giving up, then you start to see the shift happen. But you have to give it time to really see it seep through the building, right? But when they start to know how to do things, guess what? You, they don't get to call you that much because they are empowered. So I used, when I first started, I used to get calls at night. In anywhere I was, I used to get calls all the time. So I started to train them and teach them certain things. And the calls were beginning to be lesser and lesser, right? Because I empowered them, like audits. It didn't have to be me doing it. I could just get a yes. nurse 
to do this audit for me, to teach them how to do an audit. I said, go into this section, I'll sit them down and show them. I said, put everything together for me. I got nurses to do that for me, right? I did not have, when I worked in there, let me just also tell you, I did not have an ADON. Wow. I did not have a staff development coordinator. I had um, a unit manager, one unit manager, I did have that. Then eventually I got, I made, I had the nurses, I brought one in and I said, you know what, I'm going to train you. Can you be the electricity level supervisor? She said, yes. So I brought her in, I trained her. I said, I'll be guiding you throughout. She had never done it before because I knew I had to use what I had, right? I could not sit and lament that I didn't have, but I would tell the administrator, can I have an additional nurse stay one hour to do an audit for me because I didn't have a, a, a DON. So we are not actually using the budget for that. So they would allow me to, right? So then that nurse started to be empowered, right? Yes. So I'll bring them in and start to teach them things. So I was still doing everything. I was doing my line listings. I was doing everything wow. as if I had an ADON, but I was using the nurses yes. to do yes. that. It's delegation. And I think sometimes yes. leaders, we have a hard time delegating and we don't know how to delegate. Um, and, and, and we do delegate, but we don't want to delegate, uh, delegate it to the appropriate person. And, and when we delegated it to that person we thought was appropriate, we didn't provide the training for them to do the task. So it all boils down to education. And, and as I stated, you're, you are a student of education and you love to share your information. You love to share your knowledge. And, and, and one of the ways you share your knowledge is I believe you wrote a book. Am, am I right in, in, in that? <laughs> yes, yes. Tell us more about that. <laughs> so um, like, I, like I, uh, I told you, so navigating long-term care was as a result of the training programs that I, um, I did at um, the facility that I was at. So this is the long-term care, I would say the Bible for any new grad, any nurse that already exists. It's written such that the language is very easy to follow. Um, I go through everything from how to communicate with a, a, a difficult patient or a resident family, a disgruntled family. I have a role play in there. I have um, how to do admissions how to write care plans, how to uh, manage falls, elopements, burns, sent all sentinel events. I have a whole chapter on it, even med administration. I have gone through this time. I'm not looking at only the five rights. I look at, I use the um, nursing uh, process as a critical thinking model in this book. And I teach people what to do when they are doing um, assessments and things like that. So right from the um, med pass. I want them to be able to assess, check the card. Do you have any empty um, bottles of PRNs that you need to fill? I want you to plan your med pass such that not halfway down the line, you rem remember, oh, I don't have this and you run. That takes time away from the med pass. And with time, you get stressed, you fall behind, and then you start to make mistakes. So do we follow the nursing process of assessing? What do you need? you take your information from shift reporting as they're giving you reports, you know, who has new medications, you're looking out for it, you know? So I want them to start looking at MedPass, not just as the five rights, but as a process. And so here also, I talk to them about storage, you know, how I bring in the CMS regulations in throughout the book. So that book actually, once you're able to follow it, is based off of the CMS regulations as well, so that you know um, to be checking for expiration, you know, to 
have all those labeled um, apple sauces and all of that, logging the temperature in the fridge. I talk about everything. That book is so comprehensive. That's one of the feedback I get from people who actually get to um, hold the book. Wow. Um, it's, in fact, um, I don't know what I did not cover. I think the only thing I probably wanted to on uh, the next edition will cover is end of life, palliative care. That is something that I haven't covered in this book. But other than that, it has everything, even how the medical records. I go into all the sections of the medical records. People don't understand what guardianship is, what a healthcare proxy is, advanced directives. All of them have been explained in this book. I also how do you do grievances? People don't know how to do grievances. So I have showed them step by step. Acute transfers. How do you do acute transfers? The legal part of acute transfers. What forms you have to get. All of those things are in this book. This book has everything that the long-term care nurse needs to be successful. Because I was dreaming for this nurse. This nurse that knew everything so that they could do things right. And I brought in case studies, which are actual case studies from CMS. I made them to case studies and for us to reflect. I have in here suggested activities of training. This book was made as a tool for orientation, as a tool for ad hoc trainings. I made this book also, if a, a, a staff member is um, struggling in an area, you can assign a chapter, there's a workbook and they can present it. And then you can put the copy of that in their medical records to show that as a DON, you have remediated with, the, with that particular staff member. So I made it such that um, behind the book, I have checklists, the checklist for seven to three shift, three to 11 shift, the supervisor's role. I also have a infection control working um, as infection control, uh, whatever checklist, checkoff list to do. I have a competency checkoff for every competency that the nurse in a long-term care facility should have. And this time also I included how to write, um, how to pronounce death. I have it in there. How to fill in the RM pronouncements is in there. How to um, assess the BIMS is in there. The Norton. Every, there's a whole chapter on assessments. There's a whole chapter on care planning. This book is the go-to book. Not because I, I'm not saying because I wrote it. Listen, but I really wish that it's a dream book. I mean, if you are a long-term care nurse, this book, Sure. Listen, I'm a nurse. It's it's, it's interesting <laughs> to me. I mean, you know, I hear you selling it to, to long-term care nurses, but what I really hear is this is a cheat sheet for administrators. Yes. This is something for them. One of the, yes. One of the administrators told me that, Sylvia, where was this book before I wrote my administrator's lines? I haven't written the, the lines, so I don't know what is in the curriculum, but let me tell you. I start with talking about the facility, the mission, the vision. It's so important. We we You know, one of the reasons why nurses don't stay in a job is because they don't really research before they come into a facility. Maybe the facility is next door, so they go in there. Yep. You have to now understand that you have to go and look at the facilities mission and the vision it must align with yours what do they do because you don't want to go in there and realize that their vision and yours do not align and i am asking that we during orientation start from how this organization even started what is this founding story what is this founding history what are their priorities what are their values right i look at all of that before you walk into a building because if you understand 
the fundamentals of that institution and it aligns with you, you will stay there because they will do things that, so I ask that you let do an exercise activity about the mission and then ask them, how does your role as a nurse aligns with the mission of the organization? Are you there just because it's a job next door or do you really believe in what they're saying? What is the philosophy that governs the clinical operations in this building? Is it RM self-care? So in that case, we empower the residents to be able to do more in a subacute setting. What are some of these key things that we always don't look at, right? I start off, that's the chapter one, to embrace long-term care. And then we look at all the organizational structures in long-term care, the roles of the administrator, the role of the DON, the ADON, I go through all of it, the role of the nurse, the nurse as a companion, the nurse as a caregiver, the nurse as a mentor, right? You go through all of that. And then leadership, everyone is a leader. It's not just the DON. The nurse is a leader of their unit, of their assignment that day. How do you make followers? How can you get a CNA to do something for you? It's all in there. How do you follow that? Listen, <laughs> where, do I, where do I buy this book at? Tell me about Where do I buy it? <laughs> so it's available on Amazon. <laughs> it's available at Amazon. The workbook is a reflective workbook. I ask questions that people, after the chapter, they reflect. Am I cleaning the cut after I'm done with my med pass? Am I or reordering the medications. Did I, I let people reflect so that they can remember why they became nurses in the first place, that they don't get carried away by the emotions of the stress of the job, but they can take a moment of self-care to reflect on themselves because it's very important so that you can keep your stresses down, okay? So that uh, workbook is also available on Amazon and it complements it. And my goal is that these training guides would be something that long-term care facilities would embrace and have on their um as references in their what they call it in their on their units um in their library wherever because this year is prices i i really wish when i was a deal and i had something like that you know um because it was difficult to put together I didn't have it. I told you I didn't have an ADON. I didn't have an STC. So I had to put together training and I had to now look for policies, article, put it together as a curriculum to teach. It was a lot of stress. It's already been done for you. All you need to do is to assign it and then let them do the work. There's a post questions. Every chapter has uh, questions. Yes. And yeah, so it's, it's a it's a great I think it's a great resource for nurses, and I'm very, very happy that finally yeah. the book has been. Is out. It's, listen, yeah. I, it's it sounds good. I'm, I'm over here perusing your your website as as, as you talk, and it, it it really sounds good. And you know, I, I'm I'm speaking. You know, the audience knows I'm I'm a licensed nurse. I'm administrator. I'm also a registered nurse. Started out as a CNA, LPNR, and all of that great stuff. But my the core of my career has always been in long term care. And I, 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 I'm listening to some of the, the knowledge you're spewing over and I'm like, where was this book for me, right? You know, you, you become a CNA, you take a two week course and that's pretty much the extent of your training. As you mentioned, they come to you and say, hey, you gotta do these um, these uh, competencies once a year, come sign this paper, right? Yes. They ain't explain nothing to you, just sign yes. this paper. Yes. So if I had maybe a resource like this, you know, I, I think that that would be, that, that could have been beneficial to me 
um, as a CNA, as a young LPN who was scared the first day on the floor and had a death the very first day on the floor by myself, didn't know how to handle a death the very first day on the floor by myself, you know, um, because it wasn't covered in my orientation, right? And no. I didn't, no, 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 we didn't cover it in nursing school. It didn't happen dur yeah. during my seven days of training. Yeah. And the first day I get on the floor, my first submit is my death in the same exact day. In the yeah. same exact hour, my first hospice submit was a death. So um, how can people get in contact with you? So um, I am on the web, www.nsdexpert.com. Um, my contact information is there. I'm also on Google. I'm listed on Google. Uh, you can find me um, on Google. Um, so that's where you can find me. I currently do um, a lot of um, consulting work. Um, currently um, working with the department uh, with Carillion Hospital on a on a DPH grant to train um, 28 nursing homes on infection control practices in the Virginia Southwest District. I'm actually going to be one of the speakers at the upcoming conference on the second um, on the third of October, um, looking at leveraging um, the daily um, activities, ADLs, um, and enhancing infection control in long-term care. So that would be the, the talk that I'll give. So that's wow. what I'm doing now. That's serious, clearly an expert. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't gathered that, she's clearly an expert. And we're going to have to have you back again on Common Ground with SMK Medical or on our sister podcast, Sound Leadership with DJ, to talk truly strictly about leadership because you come with a wealth of knowledge. Um, as we get ready to to depart this podcast, can you leave the audience with something that, you know, they may not know about long-term care and, and, and the struggles we face in long-term care and, 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 and also maybe the joy of long-term care. Can you leave us with something? So long-term care is not what's you've had it to be if you've had the negatives. It has a lot of fulfillment in long-term care. Um, my career has been built on long-term care and I have no regrets on it. I think long-term care nurses are one of the most, are the best nurses because for you to be able to assess and call a physician, for them to be able to use your assessment with a little bit more inquiry to come up with a diagnosis and a treatment modality, that is to be applauded. You don't have the physician 24 seven, so you have to work with so much autonomy, which you cannot even get in acute care. And the acuity that we work with in the subacute departments are enviable. And I wish that a lot of nurses will now look at long-term care as a career option because you are going to get a lot. Let me give you an example. I was a clinical instructor and I was looking for, I was trying to get my, my nurses to um, have an experience of an IM injection. In the acute care settings, we couldn't get that because everything is IV push or IV med. We were struggling to even get them to be able to put in a Foley or to be able, you, you were not getting those practices or those skill sets. Um, I am injection, but in acute, in long-term care, we do all of that. So you, are, if you are a nursing student, you get a lot of your skills in, in a subacute in long-term care, believe it or not. And so I want uh, nurses to see and uh, young nurses, upcoming student nurses to look at long-term care as a career option and also embrace the fact that they are going to develop their skill set in long-term care. And now let's start looking at it that way. Instead of 
thinking that long-term care is for fundamentals where you come and learn bed, bath, and transfers. I want you to debunk that whole idea and consider long-term care as an option for juniors and seniors in nursing school. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Your expertise just oozes out of you. Your experience just oozes out of you. Your passion for leadership, for long-term care oozes out of you. And those nursing homes that you are working with are lucky to have an expert such as yourself at the helm to help improve their quality measures. Um, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on Common Ground with SK Medical. I really appreciate you taking time on a Saturday to, to speak with me and, and, and share this information um, with, with the viewer. So thank you again. I, I really appreciate you for, for joining and, 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 and just thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's listen, it's not a problem. I, I really, truly appreciate it. And, you know, I, I thank the guests for joining us here on Common Ground with SMK Medical. We hope our discussion with Dr. Sylvia has led you to some valuable insights into the pressing industry and the pressing issues that our industry face. We will continue to strive to create a space for meaningful conversations on healthcare, and we look forward to bringing you more informative and engaging episodes. Stay informed, stay engaged, and stay tuned to Common Ground with SMK Medical. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to our social media pages. You can follow me on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, just about every social media platform at your healthcare consultant. And you can follow us at SMK Medical or visit our website at smkmedical.com. Thank you again for watching. Oh, 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 oh,